Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, it's reporting season. And as seasoned reporters, we're here to give a light seasoning of analysis on the reported results. IAG posts single digit growth while Suncorp stick their single digit up at natural catastrophes. The cyclone reinsurance pool makes its way through legislation, but we fear it might be too shallow as not everyone is covered. And for the insomniacs out there, we discuss the key legal trends that have come out of last year's most significant cases and developments. Hello, everyone. On our panel today are Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Managing Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Accounting, public policy and legislation. We know how to party, don't we? We certainly do. <laughs> Hello, John. Hi. Hey, John, um, I believe you were recognised at the NEBA conference last week. Yes, that's right. As I turned up and uh, signed in for my badge, the chap behind me said, oh, I thought I recognised your voice. Uh, you're from the podcast, aren't you? So we're famous. One of your legions of fans. And speaking of fans, good morning, Terry. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? Good, good. Good. Ready to, ready to rock and roll. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, well, on to the main stories this week. Our two biggest insurers reported results last week, Wendy, and it's not been plain sailing. They both, IAG and Suncorp, both benefited from uh, GWP growth uh, in the first half, but uh, natural catastrophes were um, a drag on their insurance results. And October was a particularly bad month in Australia, and there was also some uh, severe flooding and storms in New Zealand as well. But both companies were positive about progress they're making on uh, their business operations, Suncorp, in terms of the three-year plan and um, OIAG in, in turning around its intermediated business. Um, and S&P Global sees improvement in the case of both firms in the second half. Terry, it feels like we haven't talked about IAG much recently. Is this a change or is this something that's happened? No, I think IAG's gone through some fairly... Um tumultuous times in the past with with the change of management and then the the, the change of, of structure but also they're a very large insurer uh, particularly in personal lines so uh, they tend to really bear the brunt of a season like the one we've had in the past year it seems like most insurers are constantly paying catch-up with natural disasters i guess it's the uh it's the customer that always pays in the end, though, isn't it, Terry? Well, yes, Andrew. Insurance works under the wonderful system of capitalism. Falling income is counted by rising prices. It's always been that way. I, I guess, unfortunately for the industry over the past few years, it's had to deal not only with the rising number of claims from natural disasters, but also the rising cost of repairs and an investment market that's underperforming. So, yes, premiums rise, but the thing that has to be remembered is that the insurance industry is also very competitive and that helps to keep premium rises at a, a realistic level. Well, moving on to the latest on the cyclone reinsurance, Paul, the legislation has started its journey through Parliament, hasn't it, Wendy? Um, yes, it was introduced into the House of Reps by the Assistant uh, Treasurer, uh, but now the bill has been referred to the Senate Economics Legislation Committee for review. 
So the, the committee has to report back by March 24, then Parliament's sitting again for a few days at the end of um, next month, and, and then we have an election looming. So it's, it's all a very tight timetable. But um, Green Senator uh, Nick McKim, who referred the bill to the, the committee, says, you know, cyclones are just the tip of the problem, really, and natural disaster impacts are going to get worse in the context of climate change. And people from around the country who aren't going to be covered by the pool, you know, should have an opportunity to have their voice heard as well. John, is that a fair point? We should also consider those who aren't covered by the pool? Yes, I think so. This is quite a dramatic change, this um, scheme from what what's been done in the past. So it's fair enough that we that we take a bit of time to consider it and 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 all the options that were that are out there. But um I mean plenty of people have made the point before that once you start subsidizing parts of the market, it's hard to know where to stop. What about those in other parts of the country are facing sharply rising premiums due to bushfire or flood risk? And consumer groups previously recommended national direct subsidies that could be offered to low-income households in high-risk areas. That would have been fairer, they say, but of course that's not what the government has decided to do. And while the cyclone pool won't help everyone, it will at least ease one problem. I suppose the tricky bit now is finding the balance between considering the scheme carefully and all the other options and getting this pool in place for the July start date. Terry, is John recommending that we nationalise insurance? <laughs> there was, there was a, a time when, when we used to talk about such things, but certainly not now. There's no way any government wants to take those kind of risks. Well, state insurance taxes have also been raised again this week. Wendy, this is another potential reform that could actually help bring premium costs down, isn't it? Yeah. Queensland Senator Susan MacDonald, who's with the coalition race issue in the context of Northern Australia. And and, uh, she said, you know, we're doing the pool, so state labour could help by removing stamp duty on renewals. And she said if they did that, about $60 million would, you know, go back into the North Queensland economy. But, you know, separately, there have been a lot of calls for more comprehensive tax reform, including those taxes on insurance. Well, Terry, pretty much every report on the subject has concluded that these taxes shouldn't exist. But they're still here, apart from in the ACT, of course. Yeah, well, I've been bitching about this for 30 years and uh, you have, we haven't seen a great deal of movement. It, it is really difficult to shift state governments away from taxes that raise billions and aren't really noticed by the people paying them. It's been like this for a very long time and I, and I can't see how we'll ever be rid of them, really. Yes, many inquiries have condemned state taxes on insurance as unfair, inequitable, inequ- inequitable and inefficient, but it, it's not a matter of any real interest to voters. Certainly nothing as interesting as a ukulele plunking prime minister, for example. So it's hard to get traction for change. When premiums are rising as they are at present, the issue of state taxes and their impact on the premiums people and companies pay is more obvious. But we should always remember that the real impact of state taxes and the incredibly cynical way they're constructed to maximise the take for the government isn't really the insurance industry. It's the end consumer who's paying. Well, John, you were taking a look at Law Firm's review of 2021 in our analysis this week. What did you uncover? Yes, that's right. So um, Herbert Smith Freehills has published its Policyholder Insurance Insights, which is now in its seventh edition. 
And this document details some key cases from last year for insurance, many of which we've covered on insurancenews.com.au. And it also considers some key trends. One thing that I thought was interesting is that it says, with insurer profit margins under increased pressure, coverage disputes for major claims are on the rise and insurers are lawyering up for any claim above 10 million. Policyholders who don't do the same are at a disadvantage, the report warns. So is that suggesting, Terry, that insurance companies are going to fight costly claims by default from now on? Well, I don't think so. Insurers need to be sure a claim is genuine. And if you're talking about claims over 10 million, it's not like they're just going to flit past some junior employee's uh, desk in the claims department. I don't see any real evidence that that insurers are bouncing claims to fix their profit problems, and I'd be very surprised if they were. Certainly, they'll they'll give them more scrutiny. Consumer advocates and sometimes brokers will whinge that claims are being routinely knocked back, but there are industry-wide procedures and rules, not least the code of practice, and government regulations that, that really do ensure fairness and and consistency. But let's not forget that insurers have every right to query or reject a suspicious claim. And big claims will always be investigated carefully. And where they they find problems, certainly they they may well try to, to knock them back. It depends on the relationship with the customer and uh, the the company's own approach. But, you know, what you do see is is insurers raising premiums and lowering their appetite for risk to counter the impact of more expensive claims. I think the lawyers would all be very happy with this situation anyway. Well, on that, Wendy, there's news on some business interruption court cases, but it doesn't include the one we're all waiting for, does it? No, um, we're still waiting for the outcome of the um, ICA test case um, um, appeal. But um, there have been a number of uh, class uh, actions that have been launched relating to this issue. And uh, four of them have been filed to the federal court and it's um, set down a case management hearing um, in April. So they have deliberately delayed that to uh, see what happens with the um, test case judgment. And then we'll see what go, how, how they get taken forward. But those uh, class actions, you know, involve a, um, a Lloyd Syndicate, uh, QBE, uh, IAG and Hollard. Well, John, the test case was mentioned in the uh, law firm review as well, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. I mean, COVID and business interruption cover was clearly one of the key legal issues from last year. And Herbert Smith Freehills compares the different results from cases in the UK where policyholders were the main winners and cases here where insurers are currently in pole position. Crucially, it says that when we get this appeal ruling on test case two that Wendy referred to, that still won't be the end of the matter. And policyholders should expect yet more delays. The law firm says the result will inevitably be appealed again to the High Court and disputes will continue throughout this year. So what you're saying is uh, 2022, more of the same of 2021, John? Yes, possibly, unfortunately. Well, on that delightful note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Terry McMullen and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. 
we value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week. Thank you.